Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we want to worship you more. We want to love you more. We want to know Jesus more deeply to give us strength to live our lives for you. So help us now as we consider the words we have read from your word, that we would hear what you're saying to us and that we would see you more clearly. Amen. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, we start a new series this morning in the book of Proverbs. Um, we're calling it Wise Up. Uh, and just to say, if you're offended at the idea of being told to wise up this morning, it was completely Marty's idea. And that is the absolute truth. So, uh, you know, he's much cheekier than I am. I wouldn't dare say such a thing to you. But what Marty has asked me to do today is just to introduce the book of Proverbs um, and also this underlying area that we've been um, thinking about today, this concept of wisdom or a wise life. And what we actually have in the Old Testament, and we have a group of three books together which are quite unlike any others in the Old Testament, and we call these the wisdom literature. And these books are Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job. Now, the good news is that Proverbs is by far and away the easiest to understand of those three. Um, if you've ever tried to read Ecclesiastes or Job, there's great stuff in there, but they're quite difficult. Um, Ecclesiastes is a book full of mystery. Um, it's hard to understand. It's all a bit of a riddle. And Job... Well, as well as being hard to understand, it's 42 chapters long, and the chapters aren't short either. But they are important, I have to say that, they are important for understanding the full picture of what the Bible has to say about life and wisdom in particular. Um, so I'll come back to them a little bit later so you know exactly where they do fit in. But for now, we'll stick with Proverbs um, because it is by far the easiest to understand. And if I had to sum Proverbs up in one sentence, it would probably be this. Proverbs is a guide for living well in God's world. A guide for living well in God's world. Or another way to say it might be how to be good at life. That's what we read in chapter 1 at the very start. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and a prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Another modern translation puts verse 3 like this, and I think this probably does encapsulate it pretty well. Their purpose, that's the Proverbs, is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives to help them do what is right, just, and fair. That's probably a little bit more of a paraphrase, but it's getting the idea across. It's about living well, making a success of your life, being prudent, doing what is right in life, living the right way. It's a guide for living well in God's world. The Proverbs themselves are, are short, sort of clever, uh, often memorable sayings that provide advice on all kinds of practical issues, marriage and relationships, families, bringing up children, friendship, forgiveness, poverty, work, even alcohol, kindness. Some of the Proverbs are, are, maybe, might seem a bit strange at first hearing, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so were sluggards to those who sent them. But some of them are more obvious. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. 
So Proverbs is this collection of sayings, mainly from King Solomon. You may well know the story from 1 Kings 3. God offers Solomon anything in the world that he would like. And he doesn't ask for money or anything like that, but he asks for wisdom so that he can lead the people well. And so this is what happens. And we read in the next chapter that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Now we don't have all 3,000 of his proverbs. We do have some in here which he didn't write and they're attributed to other people which Solomon probably collected. But this is basically the background to the book of Proverbs. And underlining all of these things is this notion of wisdom, the wisdom that God gave to Solomon. Underline everything in Proverbs is this idea. So I wonder what you think of when you think of the word wisdom. Maybe you think of somebody who, who has the smarts, you know, somebody academic, uh, maybe a professor or someone like that, someone who's highly qualified, someone who has a lot of intellectual knowledge. Well, that person might be wise, but it's not really the biblical idea of wisdom that we find in Proverbs. What about somebody who has a lot of life experience, somebody who's a bit older, you know, who's been there and done it and has gotten the t-shirt? Well, that's not really the biblical idea of wisdom that we find in Proverbs either, although age can be an attribute of somebody who's wise. Well, maybe it's somebody who's kind of streetwise, somebody who knows how to look after themselves, someone who won't be easily conned, who knows how the system works and knows how to avoid being stung in life. Well, again, the biblical idea of wisdom is different. It comes from the Hebrew word chokhmah, which I'm just saying to sound really wise. The Hebrew word doesn't really matter at all, but we translate it as wisdom, and that's the best we can do, but it's not perfect, because biblical wisdom actually is immensely practical. I'll give you an example um, from the Bible. In the book of Exodus, you, you probably know the story of, Mo, of God using Moses to bring his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. And, and when he brings them out, he brings them to Mount Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments and so on. He gives them lots of other instructions and he tells them how they are to build the tabernacle that they're to worship in. And God doesn't just give Moses really detailed instructions on how to build the tabernacle, he does. But he also tells him exactly who is going to do what, who's going to cut the stones, who's going to work with the wood, who's going to embroider the curtains. He tells him all of those things. And the word God uses to describe these people is chokmah, wisdom. He says that people have chokmah in stonemasonry, in carpentry, wood carving, metal engineering, curtain embroidery, whatever else. Now, we miss that in English because our translations say that these people were skilled or they were very good at what they did, but the word is wisdom. So wisdom in the Bible isn't just knowing about something, it's doing something. It's a practical skill. It's applied knowledge. Maybe a, a modern example would be uh, this. Imagine you were about to go into hospital for, for major heart surgery and the hospital phoned you up the day before and said, look, the surgeon that was meant to do it, well, well, he's sick, he's not available, and we're really, really short of staff. But, but we know you really need this operation, so we do have this one person available. Now, he's a student, and 
you know, he knows everything. He's never missed a lecture, you know. He knows all there is to know about how the heart works. He knows how things can go wrong. He knows the theory about any heart problem that you have. But the only drawback is he's never set foot in an operating theater before. He's never done any surgery. Practically, he doesn't know what he's doing, but, but you know, he knows all the theory. Would you be prepared to let him have a go? Now, besides the fact that receiving a phone call like that would probably give you a coronary event, it would be completely unthinkable, wouldn't it? You wouldn't dream of letting somebody who'd never done it before do it. You want somebody who knows how to hold the scalpel, to make an incision, replace a broken valve, do a bypass, whatever it is. Head knowledge isn't enough. You need someone who has knowledge of the practicalities. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. It's about practicalities. It's not theology necessarily, but it's life. It's relationships, love, money, business, all of those things. It's for every person in every walk of life, in every season of life. In fact, the way it's described in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is like this invisible force that we have in the universe. Kind of like gravity, you know, we can't see it, but we know it's holding us down. Wisdom is everywhere, and whatever we do, we're kind of either going with the grain of wisdom or against it. So wisdom is something that's relevant to all of us because it is all around us. It's part of the world we live in. We need it to live well. It's not just for a few people. It's not for the smart. It's for those who want to live God's way in God's world. Not just kind of winging it, taking it as it comes, not hoping for the best, but being intentional about living wisely. So Proverbs is wisdom, and that wisdom is practical. And the way the, the book works is that we have um, chapters 10 through to 29 are all full of these short sayings. And at the end, we kind of get a bit of a glimpse in chapter 30 of a man who's trying to live this out. And in chapter 31, we get this picture of a woman who has found wisdom and who is living it out. But before we really get into the, the meat of all that, which we'll do from next week onwards, we need to think a wee bit more about this wisdom that is behind all of this. Because it's one thing to say that it's, it's practical, that it's lived out, but that's not everything. In fact, it's a topic that's so important to Solomon that he has these first nine chapters of the book dedicated to it before he even gives you any proverbs. So if Solomon wrote nine chapters on it, we'd probably better pay attention to it. Now, we can't hope to cover all of that this morning, you'll be glad to hear. But what we do have in these chapters, we have this collection of 10 speeches from a father to his son, encouraging him to seek wisdom, to listen to his instructions. And we have four poems which are written by Lady Wisdom herself. Wisdom actually becomes a character in the book. She's a woman, and as all married men in the congregation know, women are always right. We know that, it's just a fact. So wisdom is a woman. This lady wisdom tells us about herself. She's generous, she has integrity, she upholds justice. So when you see somebody being generous in the world, they're using wisdom. When they're doing something that's right and fair, they're drawing from wisdom. And this is set by God. It's ingrained in the universe. Whether they know it or not, whether they're a Christian or not, they are either acting in wisdom or foolishly. And the key to all of these father and son speeches and these poems from Lady Wisdom, is that wisdom isn't just an invisible force, it is that, like gravity. But it's also a characteristic of God. God is wise, 
And it's because God made the universe that there is wisdom in the universe. And so everything that we do is either working with his wisdom or against it. So I guess it would make sense to ask the question, well, how do we live with God's wisdom and not work against it? And the way we work with it is using simply this, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The life of knowledge, of wisdom, and of discipline, it begins with fearing God. Now, this idea of fearing God doesn't mean being terrified or or scared of him. It's a healthy respect for him. You approach him with reverence and awe. You give him his place. So the key to fearing the Lord and therefore finding wisdom is that wisdom and righteousness are ideas that we can't separate and they belong to God. Fundamental to the book of Proverbs is the fact that God made the universe and therefore he governs what is right and righteous and what is wrong and therefore sinful. And we need to, to humble ourselves and recognize that you know, there are absolute truths in this world, right ways and wrong ways to do things. And these are set by God, even if that is a little bit inconvenient for us. Fearing God, recognizing his moral code as the moral code, is essential for living out a wise life. So the logic of, of these first nine chapters is that if you have wisdom and fear of the Lord, well then you'll live in righteousness, integrity, and generosity, and that will lead to success and peace. I need to put a little asterisk in there, but I'll come back to that. And the opposite's also true. If you live foolishly and, and in evil or disobedience, well then you'll, you'll end up in sin and pride, which will ultimately end in ruin and shame. In the words of the Proverbs themselves, wisdom and fear of the Lord bring strength to your bones, success in all your efforts, and peace. But folly and sin lead you to destruction. In fact, we read words there that said it would kill you. Follow Lady Wisdom, listen to the wise father, and it will go well for you. And we do know, I think, that this generally is true. For example, Proverbs says, train up a child in the way they should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's in chapter 22. Now, we know that this is generally too, true. Sorry, Children that are brought up well in sort of loving, supportive families where there is structure, where there's discipline and love, generally have better outcomes in life than kids who don't have that growing up. But it's not always true, is it? I, I have friends, you don't know them, but, but they're old family friends, and they have three grown-up children who are about my age. And from the outside looking in, I, I would say they did a pretty good job of bringing their children up, you know, that they, they brought them up in the church, the children, or the, the parents, sorry, are, are godly people, they did a good job. And the eldest and the youngest children, well, they've done okay, they've done well for themselves, they, they both got good jobs and are married, one of them has a child of his own, and everything seems okay. But the middle child, well, he lives on the other side of the world. His life's a mess. Many of the choices he's made in his life are morally questionable. And he has a serious problem with drugs. And I know his parents are really worried about him. He's fallen out with different members of the family at different times. And I remember the mum saying to me one time, you know, I, I just don't understand it, John, because all three of them had the same. They all had the same upbringing. They all had the same love, the same everything. What happened? What happened to him? We know that kids who are brought up well generally have better prospects in life than those who aren't 
but it isn't always the case. We know that there are those who make wise decisions in life about their career, about study, about their education. Well, they generally do better in life. But again, it isn't always the case. Some people who do those things, who are wise and fear the Lord, they don't do well. Maybe calamity strikes them or things just don't work out. And other people who have no regard for God whatsoever, we wouldn't describe them as wise, well, they end up having a really good life. And the truth is that Proverbs just doesn't deal with that. What we need to remember is that Proverbs is about general principles, but none of the Proverbs really are promises. I'll say that again. Proverbs is about general principles, but not promises. They're general rules, but they don't deal with the exceptions to the rules, and there are many exceptions to the rules. And that's why it's important for us, that's why I said at the start that the Bible has three wisdom books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. If Proverbs is this wise young woman who, who is wise and has done everything well, then Ecclesiastes is a wise but skeptical middle-aged man who sees no point to anything because the wicked do well and the godly people suffer. And he spends some time reflecting and ruminating on all that. And Job, well, by, if I can extend the metaphor, he's the old weather-beaten man who has seen it all. He's had a great, easy, peaceful life, followed by losing everything and suffering unimaginably. And he and his friends spent many long chapters talking over this. They know Proverbs. They know that the godly prosper and that the wicked don't. And, and so his friends said to him, you must have sinned in some way. And, and Job says, no, no, I didn't. I've been righteous but God has done this to me. So to get a full picture, we, we need to wrestle with all three books, and it's not easy. Proverbs isn't about promises, but it is about general principles. It's not law. It's not saying you absolutely must do anything. It's not commands. It's not prophecy, which tells us exactly how things are going to happen, but it is God's invitation for us all to think about how we live well. So that's Proverbs. Proverbs is about getting wisdom, fearing God so that we can live well in God's world. Proverbs are these short sayings which are not to be studied simply for intellectual knowledge, but which are to help us practically to live well. Not hard and fast rules, but principles, immensely practical, grounded in the fear of the Lord. So who's this wisdom for? Well, according to Proverbs itself, it's for anyone who wants it. We read from Proverbs chapter 1 in verses 20 and 21. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. Yes, the streets are noisy. You might notice that. There are many voices crying out for our attention in the town square. But wisdom's there. She's there and she's trying to be heard. A few weeks ago in our evening service, we were looking at the book of uh, James and here's what he has to say about it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. The amazing thing about this godly wisdom is that it's available. God is willing to give it to us. But I suppose as we, we look at the book of Proverbs, we might ask the question, well, 
is it really for Christians? I mean, yeah, okay, it, it's in the Bible, but you know, there's, there's no promise of a Messiah. There's, there's no pointing really to, to Jesus. Presumably the first people who looked at this were Jews who just kind of tried to do these things and did their best. You know, when we think about the gospel, we don't really think, or we shouldn't really think about trying to do our best in life. We realize that no matter how hard we try, we just can't live as God wants us to. But the good news is that we don't have to. God knew we wouldn't do it, so he sent Jesus to do it for us. He lived the perfect life. He then took our sin on himself and took the punishment for it on the cross, and he defeated our sin. He defeated our failure to live God's way. It died on the cross with him. So we have this kind of great transfer taking place. Our sin gets transferred to him for punishment, and as it is dealt with by him, his righteousness is transferred to us. And as he defeats death... This new life, this victory over death is transferred to us, but not because we were good enough, not because we live wisely, we don't, but simply because he loved us and no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't live well by ourselves. So how do Christians read the book of Proverbs? It's all right saying it's wise and all the rest, but, but is it a guide for living well that's really from a bygone age or is it something that we should really pay attention to? Well, since we're looking at it together and since I've told you we're going to do a bit of a series on it, you probably know what my answer is to that question. But let me explain why, why this wisdom is important for us as followers of Jesus. Across a few pages in Proverbs 8, we read some more words about Lady Wisdom. I want to share them with you. Chapter 8, verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily in his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom herself says, that at the beginning, she was there. But not only was wisdom there. Do you see how wisdom is described there? I've highlighted it. Like a master workman. Wisdom wasn't only there. Wisdom did the work. And as I read that, it it reminds me of, of verses in the New Testament. They're familiar verses that we often read at Christmas from the beginning of John's Gospel. It says this about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was there in the beginning, and all things were made through him. The Apostle Paul says something similar um, in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so what I think this means, and I don't think it's just me, but Jesus is wisdom itself. This lady, wisdom in the Old Testament, not just a a, a character made up by Solomon. Wisdom is Jesus himself. And further on in Colossians 2, Paul writes this. He says he's working hard for all of the Christians in Colossae, and he says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The whole point that Paul is laboring, the whole point that he does what he does is so that people will know Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not some of them. It's not that wisdom was there at the start and Jesus was there too. No, all wisdom is found in Jesus. So it's not Old Testament Jewish moralism. It's not just me trying to be a wee bit of a better person to have a wee bit more success in life. It's not taking away from the great transfer which took place when Jesus died for us on the cross. No, it's actually really important for us to live out our lives wisely as we follow and as we imitate Christ. But how do we do it? How do we do it? Well, to, to answer that question, and I realize I'm jumping about a bit this morning, but to answer that question, I want to jump to the beginning, just a few verses from the beginning of the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus being there at the beginning too. So we'll read these words. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, here it is, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So the author of Hebrews is, is thinking, Proverbs 8, John 1, Jesus was there as when God created the world. So where do we see this wisdom? Where do we see this one who was there at the beginning of the world, who the world was created through? Well, long ago, and many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. It's a way of referring to the Old Testament through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Where do we see God speaking to our fathers through the prophets? Where do we see him speaking most fully to us through Jesus? It's in my hand. It's the Bible. It's where we find God's wisdom through all the prophets, that way of talking about the Old Testament, through Jesus and his followers who built the church. So we know what Proverbs are. They're short, wise statements which are designed to help us to live well in God's world. We know that underpinning them is wisdom which stems from fearing God. And we know that this wisdom is available to a certain extent to everybody, but we see it most clearly on the pages of scripture, most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. And so for those of us who are called to follow him, the implication is that we are to seek wisdom and live lives that reflect his wisdom. So as we finish off this morning, I just wanna try and pull all of this together. What can, we, what can we take from this morning out into our lives? Well, it would probably make sense to give the last word to the man who is wisdom itself. Jesus Christ. Here's what he says about wisdom in Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, remember wisdom is practical, hears these words of mine and does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Hearing the teaching of Jesus and doing it, that's wisdom. 
That's life on a solid foundation. Not doing anything response in Jesus. Well, that's folly. It's foolish. It's disaster. What about you this morning? Maybe the way for you to respond this morning is to decide to build your house on the rock that is Jesus Christ, to accept his wisdom, to accept that you can't do this life on your own, to trust in the fact that in his wisdom, he came into this world to rescue you so that that great substitution could take place. Your sin given to him, the punishment of death that you deserved given to him so that you in turn could receive his righteousness, the new life that comes by him rising from the dead. Maybe you're here this morning and you're relatively new to following Jesus and, and this all just seems a bit overwhelming. You're thinking, well, there's so many things in my life and I don't know how to do them wisely for Jesus. That might also be true for some of us who've been Christians for longer, but if it's the case for you this morning, can I encourage you this morning just to take a baby step Maybe that's making a, a small change or a change that you know God is clearly calling you to make today as you hear from his word. Maybe it's committing to seek out God's wisdom for your life by beginning to read the Bible. And if you need help getting started with that, please come and speak to me, speak to Marty, speak to another Christian you know or trust. We'd be so happy to help you out with that if we can. Or if you don't think you could manage to do it on your own, we'd be happy to walk alongside you in doing it. Or perhaps for some of us this morning, our, our lives are well and truly built on the rock. You know, we were, we were saved, we're Christians. But maybe if I can extend the metaphor, we've, we've kind of built an extension onto our house, which is on shakier ground. Or we've outright gone and we've built an outbuilding that is over there on the sand. And we know that it isn't in obedience to Christ or that we're keeping back from him. It could be a relationship, it could be a work situation that we're finding difficult to handle on our own or we're doing it in an ungodly way. It might be plans for the future which haven't given much thought to God. It might be a habitual sin that we're just not dealing with. Only you know what it is for you this morning. But together today, let's resolve to live wisely. Let's resolve to live lives that are as Jesus calls us to. Let's hold nothing back because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and his way is the way to eternal life. And let's ask him today to help us along the way. Let's pray together. Our loving God, we give you thanks that in your wisdom, you sent Jesus into the world to save us. Lord, we can't imagine how that is wise when we look at our own lives and our own sin. But Lord, we thank you and we trust you that you did it anyway and that your ways are higher than ours. So Lord, help us to live lives that follow your wisdom, that imitate Christ, that seek your will in all things. Lord, help us as a congregation as we look together at this book of Proverbs over the next number of weeks. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us through it, that you would lead us and guide us and challenge and rebuke us where we need that. But above all, that you would help us to see Christ and his way more clearly, that we would follow him for his glory and his sake. Amen.